Did any of you ever growing up hear this, this phrase, high school is the best years of your life? Anyone? Anyone? Come on, who heard that? Who heard that? Okay, who was mad at that person that, that said that? Okay, yeah, me too, me too. Okay, that was what I expected when I was headed into high school. You see, I grew up um, hearing things like that, and I, I grew up watching a show uh, called Saved by the Bell. And I don't know how many people watch Saved by the Bell, but Saved by the Bell is about six teenagers who are in high school, and, and in, you know, according to their perspective, high school is the best years of their life. Uh, Zach Morris was the one that was really mainly about, and when I pictured me in high school, I pictured Zach Morris. I thought I was going to be strong and athletic and good looking, and that everybody was going to love me and want to be my friend, and all the girls were going to go out with me. That was my perspective of what I thought was going to happen. This is what I had been, that would have been communicated to me, I felt, and I believed it, uh, and I was a fool. Because that was not my experience. Uh, I was not extremely athletic or good looking or strong or having people love me. In fact, the opposite was true. Not only was it not good, but in fact, my high school years were, were bad. They were, they were rough. Uh, I was excluded. Uh, I got made fun of a lot. And I think, you know, a lot of you can relate to this. Uh, I remember good old Robbie. Um, Robbie and his, his friend thought it was funny if... if all the way from the cafeteria to our class down in the hall after lunch every day, if they would, they would flick pennies at me. Yeah, I, thank you for that reaction. You know, I told this to the young adults on Thursday, and they laughed. And I thought, God's going to get you. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't think that. But yeah, he, they, they would flick pennies at me. And, and they got really good at it. It hurt. Now, you know, it just stung a bit. It's like, it's not even like getting shot by a paintball, but, but you know, it hurt here. As, as, you're, as you're in those years, teenage years, trying to figure out who you are, uh, what, what you're going to do, how, how you, you know, live your life and how you relate to others and, and people are picking on you, it's hard. But I tell you what, Robbie, he, he did not compare, not even close, to Casey Elliott. Oh, Oh, Casey Elliott. Mm, man, uh, if you ever watched the, the movie The Lion King, there's that scene where the, the hyenas are, are, are just saying the name Mufasa over and over because it just shins, sends, you know, shivers up their spine. No, Casey Elliott, that, that's what it does to me. It's like, Casey Elliott, Casey Elliott. Oh, that, still, still to this day. Casey Elliott was a giant human being. Uh, he, yes, he was. He was extremely muscular, had a bad temper, and I, I think that I can attribute that to the steroid use that he was uh, using. Casey Elliott is one of those people that you wanted to be on your side in whatever it was you were doing. Whether he was good at it or not, you wanted him on your team because he would scare everyone else. Uh, he just had this, this natural gift uh, to, to intimidate people. And for some reason, he did not like me at all. I mean, he hated me with the fire of a thousand suns. And I don't know why, but he did. Because I was a scrawny little thing. I, I wasn't like a threat to him. But, but every time he would see me in the hall, he would, he would glare at me with these eyes that just, just pierced my soul. And he was standing like he was about to jump on me or eat me. I don't, I don't really know exactly what he was going to do. But that's the way it felt. So I was terrified. And high school was not a good time for me. It was rough. And, and you know, the people that, that said high school, the best years of your life, okay, didn't, didn't enjoy them very much. But you know who I didn't like even more of that was the people that during that time would say, why don't you just make some lemonade out of it? Really? Make some lemonade? Do you know that in lemonade there's sugar? 
right? There's no sugar here. All I have is these lemons. Every time I touch them, they squirt me in the eye and it stings. That's what I felt like. And so I was frustrated with the people that said, no, there's good in it. There's no good in it. It's all bad. It's all awful. Or people say, oh, it'll get better in, in the future. You'll, you'll look back. And uh, I, you, in high school, you can't look to the future. Everything is about now. It's all a big deal now because there's nothing beyond that. And so I, what I did was I avoided it like the plague. I knew Casey Elliott's schedule better than he knew his schedule. I did. Our high school was in a big square, so we had four different hallways. And if I had to go from this class to this class in this hallway, and Casey Elliott was walking this way, I would go around. Because I knew if we were to walk by, I mean, I don't know. He probably wasn't going to hit me in school, but I was terrified that he would. Um, you know, so I, and if, if I did happen to actually accidentally walk by in the, in the hall, I would not look at I would look at the ground. I knew what kind of shoes he wore. That's how I knew it was him walking by. It was, it was just, it was, it was a tough time. And, and what I've realized is that that mindset kind of became set in me and it began to filter into my spiritual life as I began to pursue Jesus more and more. And I think a lot of us kind of have this mindset that persecution for the gospel is something that we need to be avoided, we need to avoid. Now, I wasn't being persecuted for the gospel in high school. I was just being persecuted. Um, But but in, in, in our spiritual life, being persecuted for the gospel in America it just doesn't make sense. The first thing is we just don't expect it. And expectations are a big deal, right? We just don't expect in America we're going to be persecuted for our faith. I mean, America w- w- was, was founded by four different fathers and they were Christians, right? They, they, they believed in the Bible. And so this is not the country that, that we're going to be persecuted. And we don't expect that it should happen. That's not what should happen. And then even theologically, we begin to kind of think things, and I think incorrectly, but we, we, we say, okay, if God is calling me into something, he's, he's either going to make it easy or he's going to take away the difficulty, If God's in it, if he's calling me into it and it's difficult, he's going to make it easy for me or he's going to end up taking it away. So therefore, we say that if I'm in the midst of persecution, either God is shutting the door or I've gotten it wrong, right? So I need to go do something else. And here's here's the rub in that, is our country is becoming more and more hostile to the gospel, more and more hostile to uh, what we believe. Uh, the fact that we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the way to God because Jesus is the only one that made the way to God, that's intolerant. That's, that's, that, that's not acceptable in our society anymore, in our culture. And people are be, beginning to be persecuted for that belief and a number of other beliefs that Christians hold strongly because it's, uh, it's hateful, it's judgmental, it's hypocritical, it's bigoted, it's whatever else fill in the blank. That's, that's where our country is headed. So if our theology of persecution is that it needs to be avoided because obviously God's not in it and America becomes a place where we get persecuted for being a Christian, then we're all going to wind up in Canada, Right? <laughs> So it's important that we figure out what does the Bible say about this? How does the Bible treat this? Good news is, the Bible talks about it a lot. We've been uh, 
following the journeys of Paul throughout the book of Acts. Paul was one of the very first Christian missionaries and he planted a lot of churches in modern day Turkey, uh, in modern day Greece and lower Europe. And, and while he was planting these churches, he went through some difficulties. Uh, we, we followed him in, in Macedonia, which is uh, kind of modern day Greece, lower uh, Europe. He was in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, Athens and Corinth. And then he hung out in Corinth for about a year and a half two years, two and a half years. And during that time, he wrote two letters. And these two letters he wrote to one church, which was the church of Thessalonica. And he wrote to them in large part because they were going through some serious persecution. It was very difficult what they were having to go through. Now, if you remember, we've been in the book of Thessalonians, or both of the books of Thessalonians, for a while. And there's one overarching theme. Does anyone remember what that is? Rhymes with faithfulness. Anyone? Faithfulness, yes. Oh, brilliant. So good. So amazing. Yes, faithfulness. That's the overarching theme. That in every area, Paul is saying, be faithful. Be faithful. He's commending their faithfulness. And in the midst of persecution, he talks about what faithfulness looks like. First, let's, let's just jog our memories. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17, page 602, if you grabbed one of the beautiful blues on your way in. Uh, if you have some sort of device, just type in uh, or act like you're typing it in on Twitter. Um, uh, chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 5. Paul has just, plant, has just uh, begun to preach the gospel in uh, Thessalonica. He's preaching on the Sabbath, and a bunch of people begin to believe. They begin to follow after Jesus. Some, some Jewish people, some Greeks, men and women, a lot of people are following after Paul, following him, following Jesus. So things are going well until verse 5 happens. It says, but the Jews were jealous. These are the ones that didn't believe. They were jealous, and it says, in taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Them is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. This, these are the, min, the missionaries. They're, they're looking for Paul, Silas, and Timothy to bring them out. But what happens is they don't find them. It says in verse 6, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people... And the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Imagine that you are Jason for a second. You have just believed in Jesus. You're a brand new baby Christian. Maybe it's been a, a week or two, right? You, 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 maybe, maybe three weeks. Maybe you, you believed in Jesus the very first week Paul got there. And now all of a sudden... Three weeks later, you're being dragged out of your house because they can't find Paul and because you were hospitable, which was a, a thing that you should do in that culture. You're being dragged out of your house because of the gospel, because you believed in Jesus and you're brought before the authorities and then you're fined. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Oh, what about you? Three weeks into believing in Jesus, all of a sudden you're getting dragged before the courts and fined for believing in Jesus. That would have been crazy. I mean, that, that, I mean it would have been amazing. I can't imagine what that experience would have been like. But that was Jason's experience. And this was the experience of a lot of people in Thessalonica. 
If you want to know how bad the persecution is, you need to know how bad the Jewish people in Thessalonica hated what Paul was doing. And and I think a good example is they followed Paul 50 miles on foot to Berea to persecute him there. Okay, that's how much they hated the spreading of the gospel. They, 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 went, they walked 50 miles. Anyone ever walked 50 miles? That's, that's a long way. Okay, a couple people raised their hand and they would agree with me it's a long way, okay? It's a long way. It's longer than 49 miles by a mile, right? <laughs> 50 miles, you, for me to follow someone on foot 50 miles, I would have to be seriously angry. There was great persecution going on. People were being uh, ostracized from their family, from their friends, from their community. I imagine a lot of their businesses were affected. It was a lot of persecution in Thessalonica. So much so that Paul sends Timothy later to encourage them. We're going to talk about that. So much so that Paul writes two letters to them to encourage them. This is a big deal. Turn to Thessalonians, if you will, page 640. 1 Thessalonians. And Paul says to them, he says in verse 6 of chapter 1, and we're going to be all over uh, these two books because it's spread throughout. This is how, how, how big a deal it was. In verse 6 it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. But with the joy of the Holy Spirit, Paul's reminding them, okay, you're going through some stuff. You're being persecuted. You're being ostracized. Your lives are being impacted, okay? A lot is going on, but remember, you received the word and there was affliction then. And I told you there was going to be persecution and it actually happened. I warned you and that's what happened. But remember, you received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You received it with the Holy Spirit. Remember what happened. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. A lot of suffering, a lot of persecution, a lot of conflict he's talking about. And what Paul does here is he says, hey, I know you're going through persecution. Don't feel like you're the only one. Okay, I went through it. In fact, right before we got here, we were persecuted in Philippi. We got beaten with rods, we got imprisoned, and we didn't even get a trial, and we were Roman citizens. This is a big deal. This is what is going to happen when you believe in the gospel. You're going to be persecuted. Uh, You know, I, I imagine Paul and his introduction to Christianity. He's on the road, persecuting the church, and he gets knocked down and blinded. Okay, that's that's his first interaction with Christianity, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then he gets sent to the city of Damascus, and and, and Ananias goes to uh, give him his sight back, and Jesus says to Ananias, hey, I want to show Paul how much he must suffer for my sake. Right, and that was his introduction to Christianity. I'm going to show you how much you have to suffer for me. How many people, when someone was sharing the gospel with them, said, hey, I, come follow Jesus so I can show you how much you're going to suffer for him? That's not, that's not our go-to, right? That's not in the Evangie cube. It's not kind of how we do it. But that's the, way that, that's the way it happened with Paul. Jesus talked about taking up your cross, denying yourself and following him. Right? Persecution, it's going to happen. And Paul said, just so you know, I went through it too. He opens it up in verse 14 of chapter 2. He says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God of, uh, in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen that they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. 
and displease and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. He said, you're not the only ones. You're not alone in this. Everyone is going through this. In fact, you're imitating the church of God in Judea where the gospel started. Because you've got to remember, it started by the death of Jesus. Right? The, the path of the gospel ended up in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And he said, and then people began to follow him. Remember Peter and, and, and Paul, uh, Peter and John, they got arrested. Uh, they got arrested and they were freed. And then the apostles got arrested and they got beaten and they got set free by an angel. And then they arrested James and, and Herod cut off his head. And then Herod uh, arrested Peter and Peter got freed by another angel. And then this great persecution broke out with Paul being at the helm of it, persecuting people, imprisoning Christians, uh, casting his vote against them when the death penalty was on the line. There was great persecution. And Paul's saying, hey, you're imitating the churches in Judea. You're in good company with the apostles, with the disciples, with the believers of Christ in Judea. Suffering is going to happen. In, in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Paul was so concerned with the Thessalonians, so concerned because of the great persecution for the gospel that they were enduring, that he sent Timothy, who he needed to help spread the gospel with him on mission, sent him back to encourage them, to strengthen them, to exhort them, to establish them so that they might not be led astray because of the persecution. Paul cared so deeply about them that they'd be encouraged, that they know, hey, this is what you, you should expect, and there's some good in it, and we will talk about that in a second. In 2 Thessalonians chapter four, uh, 1, verse 4, Paul says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you were enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Paul says, be encouraged because other churches are going through it too. And when they begin to go through it and they begin to lose heart, you are my shining example. I tell them about you. I tell them about the Thessalonians, how they are enduring such great persecution, how they are passionate for the gospel, how they're not being detoured. They, they are remaining steadfast and faithful in the midst of such great suffering for the gospel. So you can do it too. Paul says, know that you're my example, that you're helping other people, you're encouraging other people just by your life of faithfulness in your reputation. I think Peter does a great job of unpacking a good theology of persecution. So why don't you turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, page 658. He kind of sums up what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians and what Paul uh, teaches elsewhere. He starts out uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 12, and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised. When you get persecuted for the faith, when you begin to suffer for Jesus, don't be shocked. Don't, don't say, what's going on? I, I, I had no idea. 
Peter says, expect it. You should expect it. What we are doing is we are charging into dark places. This is how Jesus said. He said, he said I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, I don't know if you know this, but gates are not very good offensive weapons. Right? I tried to use it on Casey Elliott and they, just, they don't work. Okay? Gates are defensive. They're a defensive thing. They're to ward off people that, that are coming against you. So what Jesus is saying is that we are now on the offensive. That we are part of, of his army for good, his army of light. We are charging into the enemy's territory and we are taking back people that he has taken captive. Okay? We are setting captives free. And when we do that, when we are entering into dark places, territory of the enemy, it's not going to be easy. He's not going to like that. He's going to be against you. Our, our war isn't against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It's, it's, there is spiritual warfare going on. And when we enter into this world with light, it's not always going to go well. I remember one time Renault was doing a message and he showed this um, commercial for the Marines as they're, they're heading into these places, uh, these awful places, I mean, valiantly. And, and there's bullets whizzing by their heads. And none of them run back to their commander saying, they're shooting at us. Can, can you believe they're shooting at us? Well, yeah, they're shooting at you. It's war, right? And this is what Peter's saying. This is what Paul is saying. Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect it. It's going to happen. This is not an elective course. Suffering isn't an elective course. It's a prerequisite that we all have to go through for the gospel. Expect it. I've learned that expectations are such a big deal, partly from G.I. Joe who said knowing is half the battle, right? <laughs> expectations are half the battle. It's a big deal. I learned this um, early on in my marriage. Uh, I, I was uh, hanging out with my wife. Uh, we were hanging out with her extended family and she left and she said, hey, I'm gonna be gone for like 30 minutes and I'll be back. <clears throat> and I was a little nervous because I was with her extended family. Um, but I, I could do that, 30 minutes, I could hang on. Um, I'm just kidding. But, but <clears throat> okay, so that's what I expected, 30 minutes. Well, four hours later, she's not home. And so I call her, like, what are you doing? Where are you? When are you coming back? And she said to me, why are you so needy? <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. I mean, I mean, of all the things, I am not needy. I am not needy, okay? I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, for me, that was like my, the cardinal sin for me, neediness. I didn't want to be needy. But I was being kind of needy. And I was like, well, why? Why? I'm not needy. When, sometimes when you leave and you go on va vacation with... Uh, with, with uh, when you went on the girls' vacation for a week, I didn't, I didn't need to, to talk to you. You were in another country. I was fine. But I realized it was expectations. It was because I expected you for a week. I was going to get to talk to you because you were in another country. But, but now I expected that you'd be back in 30 minutes. And that was, and it, when, when it went longer than that, it was hard. And it made me be a little bit needy. But I'm not needy. I'm, I'm not needy, okay? If you, if you walk away with anything today, you need to know I'm not needy. You got that? Okay, I was a little bit needy. But expectations are huge. They're such a big deal. And so Peter and Paul say, expect 
persecution. When you live out the gospel, when you're bringing light into darkness, when you're inviting brokenness into your life, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Like when my dad, early in the morning, would turn on the lights to wake me up. It hurt my eyes, and I lashed out at him. He got persecuted for bringing the light, right? As dumb as that sounds, it's a little bit like what we do. When we bring light into darkness, it's not going to go well because it hurts. Now, it was good. I like that. I like that. It was good stuff. Peter goes on in verse 13. <laughs> Perhaps you expected Renault and you didn't, he's not here this morning. Verse 13, but rejo rejoice. What? We're talking about persecution and suffering. But rejoice. Peter is talking about going through persecution. He's talking about suffering for the gospel. And he says, rejoice. Why rejoice? I'm just trying to get through it. I'm just trying to endure it. What do you mean rejoice? He says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter says, rejoice in your sufferings because in your sufferings, you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, I want to know him. My goal is to know Jesus and I can know him in the power of his resurrection, but I could also know him in his sufferings. There's fellowship with him in his sufferings. Peter says rejoice because of that fellowship. When you're being persecuted for the name of Jesus, rejoice because there is something spiritual going on where in the midst of it, there is great meaning. There is great purpose. You're being drawn near to Jesus. And he goes on and he says, and you know when you're being persecuted for the gospel, the spirit of God rests upon you. There's confirmation that you are God's children when you get persecuted. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter goes on in verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In the midst of persecution, not only is there great meaning as we are united to Christ and his sufferings, but we can also entrust our souls to a God who is faithful. He's faithful. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Man, I love that song. It comes from a verse in the Old Testament, some verses in the Old Testament where, where Elisha, who was the disciple of Elijah, two great prophets in the Old Testament, Elisha is doing such great work for God that there's an entire army after him. An entire army is after him and his servant is, is freaking out. I mean, he's flipping out. He's like, Elisha, what are we going to do? There's an army out there. What are we going to do? And Elisha just says, God... Open his eyes that he might be able to see. 
Because Elisha knew that there's more going on than what we can just see. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. It, it's, there's a spiritual battle going on. And God's, God opens his servant's eyes and he sees this angel army between them and the enemy. And when we're going through persecution, not only are we being united to Christ in his sufferings, but we can entrust our souls to a faithful God who's the God of angel armies, who's on our side. And I think that the question is not, God, why am I going through suffering? It's why in the world are you on my side? My side, me. You know what I did yesterday? You know what I did today? You know what I thought? You know how I treated my wife? Why are you on my side? That should be the question that we're asking. Why in the world is the perfect, holy, righteous God of the universe on our side? But he is because he loves his children. And it doesn't stop there. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 2 says, we should fix our eyes on Christ the author and the perfecter of our faith. It says, who for the joy set before him, Jesus, when he's about to endure the cross, he says, for the joy that was set before him in the future, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised its shame and he sat down at the right hand of God. What Paul is saying, what Peter is saying, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is not only should we expect soft suffering, not only can we rejoice in it because there is great good in the midst of persecution for the gospel, not only can we trust our souls to a faithful God who is with us right now, but in the future there is great glory to be had because we are going into the enemy's territory and we are rescuing captives. There are people enslaved to the enemy that we, by the grace of God, have invited to go in and set free so that their eternities can be fixed in heaven forever with a good, loving, perfect, perfect God. Right In the future, we will get to be surrounded by all these people that we got to enter into their stories because we were going into dark places. We were willing to suffer persecution for the truth of God. You know, our mindsets are so messed up. And I can give you an example um, from Brady being an idiot 101. Okay? I was at Oxum Coffee with Jill Coffin, my partner in crime in this, and, and we were getting ready to meet with Renault. And, and both of us felt like we really needed to give Renault some wisdom and from our infinite stores of wisdom that we have. Uh, this was four years ago, and, and Renault at the time, uh, when, when I first got to Mosaic, he was going to adopt one kid, and then uh, it turned in he had needed to adopt two because they were sisters, and then it turns out there was four of them that were brothers and sisters, and if he didn't adopt all four, he couldn't adopt any of them, and he had just made the decision to adopt all four, and so Joel and I wanted to let him know, hey, maybe this isn't the best decision. Uh, because Renault, as you, you know, is, is uber optimistic, right? He's always up here. Everything is great. Everything is amazing. Everything's wonderful. He just kind of floats through life. Either those people that see the glass half full, the people that see the glass half empty. Renault's like, I got a glass. There's a glass. Is there anything in it? I don't know, but it's a glass and you should love this glass. It's amazing, right? The unbelievable reality of the glass. Right? That is Renault. And what, what, what happens is while maybe perhaps Renault could go through this, 
there are people surrounding Renault that aren't exactly like Renault. And it's going to be difficult on them. So Joel and I, when we, we, we told him, we said, hey, maybe this isn't the best idea. You need to think through this. Well, fast forward, uh, if you have been in our church for a while, you know it's gone rough. It's been difficult, right? When you, when you invite, when you double the size of your family and they're all children, right? I mean, children, natural sinners, right? It, it's not, you don't have to teach them that. It's hard. It's difficult. And, and it's, been, it's been tough even on Renault, gla- the glass Renault, right? right? It's been tough. And I have thought to myself a number of times, I was right. Because I'm all about safety, security, and comfort. And I believe that if it's difficult, then I either didn't follow God or I need to get out of it. But that's not what Paul says, and that's not what Peter says. That's not what the writer of Hebrews says. That's not what Jesus says. What they say is suffering for the gospel is not something to be avoided. Suffering for the gospel is an opportunity because in no other way can you be uniquely spiritually drawn to Jesus and his sufferings. And in going into dark spots and inviting brokenness into your life, it's going to be difficult, but you are changing people's eternity. Expect persecution it's going to happen. It's just the nature of, the, of this broken world is we will be persecuted for the gospel. But rejoice in it because you're drawn uniquely near to Jesus and you can entrust your soul to a faithful God who goes before and stands behind, a God who has your back. And in the future, there will be greatness that comes from being persecuted for the gospel. And it sounds great, but sometimes it doesn't feel great. I think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist who gave his entire life to follow the call of God on his life, right? I mean, John the Baptist who was in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. And not bugs, but the nuts, locust nuts, okay? But still, and he's dressed in camel's hair and he's just outside all the time doing the work of God. Well, Jesus comes on the scene and, and he starts doing all these great stuff. But John winds up in prison. He prepared the way for Jesus. He spent his entire life doing the work of God, and now he's in prison. And he's thinking, I don't really add up. I've been, I've been following after you faithfully. And so he sends someone to Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, are, are you the Messiah? Are you really him? Or, or should we look for someone else? And the reason I'm wondering is because I'm in prison. And that shouldn't be happening. If I follow God, I shouldn't be in prison. And Jesus says, blessed is he who doesn't stumble over me. And then he goes on in his great love and just speaks highly of John. and says how, you know, how great a man he is for the kingdom of God. But sometimes you're there. You're there with John. You're in that cell. You're, there's persecution all around you. You're following after Jesus. You're, you're speaking the truth in love. You're, you're doing the work of God and yet... People are excluding you. They're ostracizing you. They're mocking you. Things are happening that shouldn't be happening and you're wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? And I love in the song, Whom Shall I Fear? In the bridge it says, 
I'm holding on to your promises. And I think there are times in our life when that's all that we have. All that we have are just his promises that say he is faithful. That he will be faithful. That he is faithful. That that I am being drawn uniquely near to Jesus. That there is something in the future for me. But it's just these promises that I have to cling to because everything feels awful. And it's difficult and it's hurtful and I want out. But remember, our God is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God of angel armies, and he's the God that is on our side. Expect persecution when you go into the dark world bringing light and taking the captives and setting them free. And know that there is great good in the midst of it, and there's great future good to be had. Jesus will return, redeem and restore all things, and that is going to be a glorious day. But until then, we get the opportunity to suffer for the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we need you because this is not easy. Lord, it is so hard. God, there are times when it's impossible. Thank you that though things are impossible with humanity, all things are possible with you. And that that we can do all things through you who gives us strength in the midst of suffering, in the midst of abundance, in the midst of persecution. God, that we can rest knowing that you've got our backs, that you are faithful, that you are on our side, and that you are the sovereign God in charge who holds the world in your hands. Help us to trust in you God, thank you that we get the opportunity to suffer for the gospel. Thank you that we can be drawn uniquely near to Jesus in the midst. And thank you for all the great future good that you are doing, inviting people into your kingdom. God, use us in mighty ways for your kingdom. We need you. It's hard. So we ask these things. We cry out in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.